When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Bex. And I'm Laura. And we're here to talk openly and honestly about miscarriage, stillbirth and all pregnancy loss. We aim to smash the taboo surrounding these subjects. And rebuild the topic in a way to support and educate women. Rather than isolate and shame them. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are so lucky to be joined here in the studio this week by Claire. Hi Claire. Oh hi. I love the studio. It's lovely isn't it? Isn't it lovely? Have you noticed it's quite different in all three backgrounds? Yeah. (laughs) Beautiful. High budget that's what we are. It's lovely to have you here Claire. We are going to be talking through your, what should we call it today? journey or story story Story. you love the word story right so your last pregnancy was a miscarriage during lockdown yeah prior to that you had your little girl abigail yeah and before that which is what we're going to mainly focus on was your termination for medical reasons with evelyn yeah that's right so where do you want to start us off claire oh my story let's go (laughs) um Okay, so uh, in 2015, um, I was 28 and we decided to come off contraception. Um, I have polycystic ovaries, so very much viewed falling pregnant as a marathon and not a sprint. And Mm. I thought if I could get pregnant within two years, then that would be great. But in the meantime, I just enjoy my job and going out on the beers. Two months later, I was pregnant. So to say that I was shocked was an understatement. I was also a bit sort of angry in a way I felt like I'd lost those last two years of freedom and I felt like my life was over as I as I knew and loved it and I think lots of women do feel that to a degree but I'd I'd never known anyone to be pregnant and I felt like those feelings are really ugly and so sort of hid them away. I think obviously you had polycystic ovaries and when we build ourselves up to something that is going to take a long time we sort of look forward to what we can do in the meantime, you know, and then if it, boom, happens, I understand that you feel that sort of snatched yeah. from you a bit. Yeah, I did. I did. And I just felt like, you know, my, my life was now on a, on a one-way path that perhaps I wasn't quite ready for. But actually, I had a really good pregnancy and I felt really well in myself. And by the start of the, th- the third trimester, I'd started to sort of accept it all and, and kind of own it. And I didn't feel quite so fake in terms of, you know, having this 
you know, perfect pregnancy or what have you. So at 29 weeks, I went for a routine community midwife appointment and she listens to the baby's heart, which is all fine. And then they measure your bump as they always do. And she said, although it was well within the national guidelines, she said, actually, compared to my um, personal growth chart, it was just a bit big and that she'd like me to go for a scan. And I just thought I'd been a greedy bastard because it had just been a bank holiday. Um, <laughs> uh, but, and did but, you, were people commenting, oh, you're so big for your... Oh, no, not at all. Not at all, not okay. At all. So it wasn't I mean, obvious. No, and I'm six foot, so I don't know, I'm always big. <laughs> How long did you have to wait for the scan? So... Um, only a few days. I think it was the Monday I had a community midwife appointment and the scan was on the Thursday. And I remember like, te- in the meantime? not at all. Okay. No, just was like, I get a free scan. This is great. Better than paying 70 quid to have a private one. Yeah. So yeah. that's sort of, that's all it was. Cause I hadn't had a scan since the 20 weeks, which everything had been fine at. And I suppose the, the thing that's worth mentioning is that the reason why measuring big is significant when they measure the bump is because it can suggest that there's too much amniotic fluid so the baby actually regulates the amount of amniotic fluid and too much can suggest that perhaps the baby isn't coping because they're not able to regulate that level of amniotic fluid themselves so that was something the midwife had said and but it hadn't really stuck out to me that much so yeah just a few days later we had the scan and the sonographer left the room and returned with a colleague um, and they discussed something between themselves. That's so interesting, Claire, because the new guidance about scans yes. says that they should be open and honest and not go out of the room without not telling the what's room. happening. Yeah. Yes. What were you thinking when they left the room? Nothing. Okay. I was so naive. I just thought, oh, okay, she's probably, you know, just needs to double check something or, you know, just, I don't know. I just didn't have, I had no reason to worry at all. I was, why would you? Why would I? Yeah. I was so naive. I was 28 and I'd never been pregnant before. I had no, you know, I didn't know anyone who'd had a bad story. I didn't know anyone that even had a miscarriage. So it just didn't occur to me to worry. And then we were taken in that little room <laughs> and the language that they used was quite unclear, but they said that they couldn't see the level of detail they'd expect at this stage in the pregnancy and that they wanted to refer me to St Thomas's and even at that time I thought they'd just send me straight away to St Thomas's I thought they were going to you know send me in an ambulance there and then so I thought well okay fine but actually the next available appointment wasn't until the following Monday so it was Thursday and they wanted me to wait and the uncertainty was just sort of unbearable really because I didn't know if that meant there was something wrong with the equipment they were using yeah or yeah, was there something they, wrong with the baby did they give you any idea at all as in did they say we think it might be this but we want to absolutely show. not no they didn't use any description in terms of what they thought the problem might be they just said they can't see the level of detail in the brain that they'd expect to and I just thought maybe the baby's in the wrong position or maybe right, okay. the bladder's too full or all the stuff but, you've heard about right yeah but the idea of waiting four days until getting a better picture I just couldn't bear so we um, managed to get an appointment the next day at Harley Street at a private ultrasound place whatever they're called clinic um so we went there and um had a very detailed ultrasound where she was very quiet throughout and then she began 
to talk us through the abnormalities that she could see on the screen. And this was mainly relating to our baby's brain. And again, the language was quite unclear in terms of the abnormality. So I just remember the only question I asked her was, what are the chances that this is all just a misunderstanding mm. and that everything will be okay? Because I still had that bit of hope yeah. that yeah. that maybe this is all just a misunderstanding. Yeah. And she shook her head and said, no, that it's not going to be okay. And at that moment, like the hope sort of died. So then we had the appointment on the Monday at St. Thomas's and we went up every day that week just trying to understand what it meant for our baby in terms of a diagnosis. And I was really desperate for somebody to say with total clarity, this is the condition that your baby has and this is what it means for you. They just couldn't give me that confirmation. And I just remember feeling so helpless every day because you know what it's like with the NHS, which is amazing, but there's, you know, there's just such a sheer quantity of people that you're just sort of always in a list and so begging Mm. Time wasn't on my side. I was 29 weeks pregnant and I just needed to get the scans and answers as quickly as possible. Why did it not show up at your 20-week scan? Um, so based upon the ultrasounds that I had at the time of, of 29 weeks um, and an MRI that I had at 29 weeks as well, the doctors thought it was likely that our baby had um, a genetic condition called APERT syndrome. Um, and actually it's where the baby's brain hasn't been given room to grow because of premature fusing of the bones in the skull but that fusion doesn't take place until after 20 weeks so um your baby's brain is um sort of continually growing and the bones just move around it whereas um my baby's brain uh, didn't have that room because the the, the bones had fused prematurely and so that pressure builds inside the skull and it leads to an abnormal head shape and uh, has an impact on so many aspects cognitive ability eye abnormalities ear structures everything so many so many impacts Um, and from the baby's uh, the scan of the baby they could also see that our baby's fingers and toes were all fused and that's also part of apert syndrome as well was it the the bones fused together yeah yeah, like so the skin. Yeah, like mittens. Or to I'll be honest, the first thought I had was the penguin from Batman. That's how like I saw it. Just Aww. this, and it was this sort of language that was really horrifying. Abnormal brain, deformed head, fused fingers and toes. Oh, they're yeah. so That's graphic, a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah, and they're so graphic and so disturbing. Yeah, and I just felt really frightened. Um, frightened of of the results but also really protective of my baby and not wanting to share that information with too many people because it was so so horrifying and so ugly to 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 talk about really did you feel frightened of your baby within you at that point I was frightened that I the the I don't want to say stress, but the the upset of it all would cause me to go into labour before we had all the information, and that my decision would be made for me. I suppose I didn't feel comfortable. I also didn't know the sex of our baby. That's why I keep saying our baby rather than Evelyn, because at the time she was our baby rather than a boy or a girl, and yeah. so I didn't have that connection of being able to picture her with a gender at that point. And that coupled with the really scary sounding words, I suppose, did make me feel frightened. 
but living with APER syndrome is possible and because of the severity of the fusions can vary so some some babies fusions are very mild in the skull so their brains still can grow um, some babies don't have fused fingers and toes and etc uh, and many cases in fact most I think of APER syndrome aren't picked up until after birth but obviously right. ours had. Would that mean that so, the severity was, yeah. was worse? In my mind that's how she, Evelyn wasn't coping because she wasn't able to regulate the amount of amniotic fluid. That was her saying, I'm, I'm in trouble and I'm not, yeah. I'm not coping. Oh. And that's how I have to look at it now. But also if the majority of APERT syndrome um, sufferers are not picked up until after birth, yet Evelyn was picked up at 29 weeks. Yeah. That's got to mean that her case was more severe than your average sufferer right i i believe she had a very severe case yeah and And what did the doctors tell you well at her post-mortem results a long time afterwards i i went back i almost forgot what happened in a way and really beat myself up about the decision i had made and the chief genetics doctors you know stopped me as I was trying to have this total meltdown to her and said Claire we made this decision as a group of people in this room at the time that was what was best for your baby and what was best for you and she really made reminded me of that Mm. you know this wasn't you know sort of a a decision I, I made on my own she said we made it all together and and we did you know they the information was all there they they displayed it they did so much um you know analysis of the mri they compared evelyn's brain at a 29 week old to a normal 29 week old baby's brain and they said look at the difference so could, and you could and it was very obvious. it was night and day it was night and day there was nothing right, there was okay. nothing there for evelyn when you were trying to make the decision of what to do did you ask them what what would you what, do what do you suggest you? or what would you do yeah no because i really didn't need to because i felt like I felt like I knew, I felt like what, nobody would say it, no one would go, no one would say, so your, bra- your baby would likely to be brain dead or your baby is likely to not survive because they can't. You know, I asked what milestone she's likely to miss and they, they couldn't tell me. And so life, that's what life would be, a complete uncertainty of just waiting mm. for her to hit a milestone and miss it. But at the same time, that's even if she survives because babies with APERT syndrome have to have really major surgery to relieve that pressure in their skull so that their right. brains can, within the first few months of them being born, they have to have that huge operation. And, and that's got to leave you wondering what quality of life they would have from the word go. Yeah. Exactly. A, a child I read online with APET syndrome had had over 60 serious operations in their life. And knowing that my child would have to fight for every single thing we take for granted, mm. eyesight, brain function, that wasn't a fight that I, I wanted for my child. And I knew that I would not be able to cope with a child dying. And that's not how I felt a termination would be. It wouldn't feel the same. And so when you made the decision, mm-hmm. were you both in agreement? Was it, was it something that you talked about a lot or did you just, you both knew what you wanted? Yeah, we were both pretty much on, on the, the same, same page. page. I wanted to hang on to a bit of hope, but I had to also accept for every time you want to be hopeful, you have to accept all the other sides of the coin mm-hmm. as well. And once I thought about all of that, I wasn't prepared to, to take that. And also you're talking about the space of like a day and a half. Yeah. You know, 
really in terms of making a decision. It's, this isn't a long time because even the proper test to have apex syndrome was a two-week wait for the results. And I couldn't wait that long at nearly 30 weeks pregnant. So well, I guess it doesn't really matter what, in that respect, it wouldn't matter what the syndrome was. The, the fact is the brain yeah. wasn't growing, whatever the cause of that was. Yeah. And that, that's what must have helped you make your mind up, the fact that yeah. the brain wasn't functioning as it should have been. Yeah. Well, that's the only thing. No one could ever really say it's not functioning. It was always, look at this image and then look at that. There was a lot of inferred, that, right. you know, it was never quite as black and white that as makes I it so. It be. That makes it so hard on you because if someone could give you a definitive answer, then you would know, you would, yeah. you would have that definitive answer and you'd be able to make a a very grounded structured decision based on those cold hard facts oh you wouldn't have to to deal with the the worry the the what ifs the the guilt Mm. and the fear of judgment as well yeah yeah so talk us through what happened after you'd made your decision Claire um I had a procedure called a feticide and the doctors talked me through what that would be like but they warned if it wasn't successful that they'd have to try a less humane means um and so the, the procedure itself was lying very still having them ultrasound me and at the same time pass a, a really big needle through my tummy into my baby's heart uh, in order to stop it um, wow. and my husband was next to me uh, kissing my tummy and, and talking to our baby saying goodbye and I just laid there thinking how could there be anything less humane than this and I was so frightened of what the alternative could be that I was just willing for it to happen and willing for it to work and in my mind begging for it to work because I was so scared of the alternative and then once the um, pr- procedure was was done the doctor said very kindly and with compassion you know it, it's done and I just let out a sob and just said thank you and I meant it with every bone in me because it was done and um I just needed to get to that point and the relief was was huge. Oh Claire. And then there's just the small matter of waiting 15 minutes before having another ultrasound to check that your baby has definitely died and then when they confirm you catch yourself feeling relieved and you think this is so fucked up <laughs> on what planet would you ever be relieved at that mm. information mm. but you are because once you've committed to that decision, you just want it done. Yeah, of course. I'm so sorry that you that you had that decision that that this happened. So sorry. It's horrendous. It is horrendous. And I don't want to know what the less humane option was either. Wow. I don't know what it is. I think that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um and then I suppose I had a sinking realisation that I would still have to deliver the baby um of course. who I'd always been scared of labor I'm a total scaredy pants and a, and a wimp <laughs> um but I also just felt so unprepared because I hadn't had any of my antenatal classes at that point mm. they were all still to come I didn't know the stages of labor to be fair I'm not still sure if I actually do still I'm not I mean I'm not <laughs> sure I've, I've actually got kids so well, I've always yeah. thought that being in I've never had labor because I had an emergency cesarean but I've always thought that when you're in labor it must be horrific but the thing that keeps you going is that you're going to get to meet yeah, of this course. wonderful healthy baby at the end and of that's it. what they say to you you're one contraction away you're one less away from meeting your baby you know 
Yeah. So the, the midwife said to me, don't worry, you're not going to be in any pain because there's no baby's welfare to consider. So you can be on morphine oh. throughout. So I, and she didn't mean it nicely. That's yeah, just, of course. It's just the, the truth of it. So I, I was on a morphine drip throughout and they were like, you're not going to be in any pain. Don't worry about it. Well, that was not true. I was, I was induced um, and my body wasn't ready to give Evelyn yeah. up. And so it was a really long labor and very painful and I was on a maternity ward and I was just so mindful that I had a midwife with me all the time and she should be with a woman that's having a live baby and I was just a, a, a time waster really. Why were you oh, on a maternity ward? I was having a baby and I suppose where else do you go in a hospital you know. Could, I, you, could you hear other women and other yeah um, oh my yeah. god but you want to be looked after by midwives don't you because they're the ones who know what they're doing at the same time if you're not given that level of validity almost to you know you 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 don't deserve a a midwife because your baby's not alive or you know that would be that wouldn't be as nice either you know Um, she was actually breached as well so I don't know if that made it a lot more uncomfortable Mm. obviously if I'd been if she'd been alive I'd had to have had a c-section but because she wasn't that didn't have to worry um and then she was finally born and my, the only thing that we managed to keep as part of all of the plans that we had was that my husband got to tell me if uh, it was a boy or a girl and um Jason um said it's a girl and that was obviously bittersweet and she stayed in a cold cot next to me for the it was about midnight by the time I delivered her and I'd had so much morphine I was just um a bit loopy so they left us mm-hmm. for the night but I kept having sort of they come in and check on us and I thought they were trying to take her away and I kept shouting out for them to sort of leave us alone because I was I think oh. the morphine made me a bit mental and mm-hmm. I didn't really know where I was but and then in the morning the midwife who specializes in uh, loss bereavement midwife, midwife, yeah. midwife that's it um she came in she was extremely kind and offered to take pictures you know she knew what we would want want to look back on Mm. and uh, I just sort of agreed and went along with whatever she suggested and I'm really pleased I have those pictures of Evelyn and of us holding her yeah but at the same time I know that the way I am I look in those pictures and you know just smiling for the camera um isn't how I felt I was totally hollowed out and actually quite afraid of of Evelyn because of her poorly fingers and toes and her really misshapen head you know she looked so poorly and that and because of that I didn't really want it I didn't let anybody come to the hospital of like our parents or anyone and do you regret that now no because I know why I did it My, yeah. I I couldn't cope with my own feelings towards it and you can't cope with anyone else's on top of yours no yeah that makes sense that's fair enough I think when you ever you go through something really traumatic your brain has a brilliant way of coping and doesn't yeah. let you think too far ahead yeah and you literally, emotions we've talked yeah. about this so many times yeah, a bit like autopilot women, yeah you just go into autopilot and your your body just does it yeah exactly. and your brain doesn't know what the fuck's going on no and you don't think that far ahead either. You just no. do the next thing on that you've got to do. You just get to that next stage. And so, yeah, the, the bereavement midwife asked us if we wanted uh, a post-mortem on Evelyn. And I, I agreed and I really wanted to because I thought it would help give us answers and, and some form of sort of information about why it happened. But unfortunately, after waiting months for the results, absolutely nothing came back. 
uh, other than yes your baby has suspected apert syndrome and the fact that I'd let my baby go through a post-mortem and all you know all those awful thoughts of your baby lying lying mm. there having having it cut open I just mm. felt wretched for so and I, I guess just words like termination for medical reasons was I mean it's something I can really say freely now four years down the line but at the time I really struggled to say that to anybody that that's what I'd had for what reason guilt and judgment and it's just such a horrible scary word you know it's a it's termination abortion you know they're just they're scary words aren't feticide like it oh that's an awful word a really really awful word yeah what what did you tell people what did you say well I felt like I didn't really fit into any category because where Evelyn was so far along or I was so far along in my pregnancy she's legally recorded as a stillbirth Uh, she has a, a stillbirth certificate we had to have a funeral for her but to me a stillbirth was somebody that had lost their child during really late stages of of pregnancy through no decision of their own and so I felt like I was taking something away from those women who had had you know genuine (laughs) stillbirths I just didn't know any I, I still don't know anyone that's had a termination for medical reasons um we have had so many people contact us haven't we so many so many but I think the reason is is because exactly like you no one they don't talk about it for fear of judgment for 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 guilt you know all of these horrid reasons I mean they just must make you feel so awful inside even though you've done nothing wrong all the people that have contacted us have contacted us to share their stories yeah so and to want help to speak other out people. about it yeah but you got yeah. in there first claire so yeah. Shotgun. we've had to yeah. tell them to wait till series two series but. two <laughs> how long after evelyn did you fall pregnant with abigail so i went back onto contraception i couldn't i felt like i had run 24 miles of a marathon not got to the finish line but to yeah. be told I needed to go right back to the beginning and start again and I did not have the heart for it yeah. I did not have it in me to do it again and I just wanted to run as far away from the trauma did it alter the way you felt about friends that were announcing pregnancies and births and how did you cope with that I was able to be quite rational about it, I suppose. But I also just put so much pressure on myself to be normal, mm. you know, just to bury it all and just pretend that I was absolutely fine. And Do you think that was, retrospectively, do you think that was because of the way society is wanting you to be normal and everyone not knowing what to say, therefore expecting you to bounce back, therefore expecting you to be normal, wanting you to be normal? Yeah. And- you behaving to other people's expectations yeah maybe to a degree also I think it would be different if it happened to me now that I am a mother I think you know when you you can be kinder to yourself maybe in in some ways and I just didn't know what to what to expect or, or I didn't know how to be and so I just force myself to sort of keep keep pushing on and 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 everyone takes that at face value don't they if you're telling everyone you're fine then they go they go oh phew okay Mm. she's fine yeah let's crack on there's no difficult conversations up up ahead did it cause you problems later on having you know packed up these feelings and put them away absolutely so I had Evelyn in June 2016 and um, went back to work pretty quickly afterwards had some pretty awkward 
water cooler moments when people are like, gosh, you're back soon after your baby and try to like scrabble around for the words to describe. And you literally just didn't know what to say. I couldn't say I had a termination for medical reasons. I couldn't say that. So I would just say, oh, my baby, my baby was stillborn. My baby died or, you know, just, no, I just shake my head and sort of <laughs> scribble oh, away. Yeah. But I just wanted to be back to the old me so much that that's all I focused on. And then probably um, by Christmas, I started to realise that I was never going to be the old me again. And mm-hmm. the grief, grieving the fact that that was never, I was never going to go back to who I was, you know, realising the trauma of, of how frightened and, and frightened I was of the whole thing and of Evelyn and how at conflict I was at the, with that. It definitely meant I had to go back to square one again and face it all what did you do to cope with those feelings cried a lot um I did have some counseling I got in touch with mind and had um they they provided me with I think eight sessions helpful yes yes very helpful actually probably just because it got me talking about it um more Mm. than more than anything how long after did you decide that you wanted to have another baby my gosh um 2017 the following year it was never you know looking back I I was terrified I couldn't I am um, I fell pregnant um actually I didn't have a period I came off the contraception and I never had a period and so I ended up falling pregnant for Abigail and Clomid and uh, I had an APERT test so the Great Ormond Street Hospital had just started a, a brand new test for APERT syndrome so how could early have, could you have that done at nine weeks Oh, wow. So I had to have um, a scan at nine weeks to date me. And all of that, it was very fractured. So there's no like one central unit that's looking after me because my previous care had been under St. Thomas's. My birth was at Durham Valley, like just all over the show. So I had to call around a lot trying to get this previous dating scan locked in. And every time I just called someone, I just burst into tears because Mm. I just, I didn't even know where to begin telling them Mm. what had happened. It just felt too big. It felt too big. And I don't think I ever really settled down until Abigail was here. I can imagine. I think the pure, I remember the minute I gave birth to Abigail, the only way I can describe it is that I went into shock and I was freezing cold and shaking and I thought I was going to die. And I didn't have that moment that you think it's going to be of like a rush of love. I just feel like I just went into shock because I just don't think I could believe that I'd I'd done it because I just think I told myself all along it wasn't really ever going to happen. Do you know, it's so interesting that you say that. And although our experiences have been very different, I thought I was going to die. And maybe this is something that people people feel but when they put Bertie on my chest I just couldn't handle it I I get him off me yeah all I'd ever wanted but I didn't want him on me and I got so panicky and thought I was gonna die that they threatened to give me a general anesthetic and I was like ah no and went a bit crazy yes yeah exactly that is it a common thing did you think that Bex after I I had I went into shock um with my second two James was like 26 hours but Flynn was five hours and Ruby was two and a half hours and I went into shock but I think because of the speed of it Flynn and Ruby both my girls were very very quick and I did go into shock but I think it was just because they were so quick right it was you know rather than didn't think you were going to die interesting then Laura Mm. no 
lived to tell the tale. And now she is two and a half. Two and a half and the size of a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are six but foot. You are six foot. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it when you said you're six foot. Because obviously we only see your heads shoulders. and shoulders. <laughs> knees and toes, knees and toes. <laughs> oh no, we managed to get a song into this one too. <laughs> Anything else that you want to tell us, Claire? No, just... If there's anyone out there who's had a termination for medical reasons, hold on, sister. (laughs) It's um, shit. It's shit. Proper shit. It all is. It all is. But but having to make that decision, I just... It's just so cruel, isn't it? It's so cruel. Poor Evelyn. Indeed. And poor you. But do you know what? She never knew the cold. And there was, there's so much misery in this world that she will never know. All the time that she was with you, she was warm and she was loved and she was looked after, you know? Yeah. And for so long afterwards, I couldn't, I couldn't see anything happy without getting upset and thinking about her. Mm. Or I couldn't listen to a piece of music and not think of her. Or if I like watched fireworks or a sunset, like everything, just, I just thought she's never going to experience any of this. Mm. But like you say, she's also then been spared all of the, the pain and the sadness. And you know that there was, yeah, she was, she was very not poorly. a healthy baby. And the suffering is just to choose to put her, you know, through that suffering is huge, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't want that for her or for and us. And it's such an unknown entity as well. The only, the only thing that you knew for certain is that there would be suffering. Yeah. I think you're amazing. I think you're amazing that you're willing to come into the studio and talk about this. Thank you for having me in the studio. That's a pleasure. (laughs) Bunch of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you so much, you guys. No, thank thank you. you. Oh, girls, it's been emotional. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.